very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. everyone around the world and we're welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mal Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time or your truth journey brought you here, welcome home. And if you want to enjoy tonight's full interview and every single interview we have ever done, just go to VeritasRadio.com and subscribe. And if you want to upgrade your life, and when I say that, I mean it, go to sanitasradio.com and sample what we have to offer there. I guarantee it, you will never be the same. And if you want to get in touch with me, you want to be a guest on this radio program, or want to recommend somebody that we should be exposed to, or simply you want to give us feedback, I'd love to hear from you. Just click on the contact button of our website. And tonight, we have a Veritas veteran return to discuss many topics of interest. The mysterious TR-3B Astra aircraft, or should I say spacecraft. His research on 9-11, 15 years after the event. His plane tracker project, chemtrails, and his research on the expanding Earth, and so much more. Tonight's special guest is Andrew Johnson. He's a software engineer and developer, educator, author, an alternative knowledge researcher. We have a more comprehensive bio right on our website. His website is checktheevidence.com, which is also linked at ours. And directly from Derbyshire, England, I'd like to welcome Andrew Johnson. Hello, Andrew, and welcome back to Veritas. How are you? Well, it's very nice to be back, Mel. Thanks a lot for inviting me. I'm, I'm very well, thanks. Well, great. You're you're a good friend of this program, even though you haven't been back for a few years. You you were an active participant in our forum some years ago, so we always enjoy your input. But recently, you sent me some some topics that you have been researching. The first one is the TR three B Astra. I'm going to call it spacecraft, but I'm going to hold a minute before we get there because almost on a daily basis, I told you this offline. I'm getting correspondence from people asking about chemtrails. First of all, people are too afraid to to even talk to their colleagues, their peers, the, the their family members, their friends, because they're ridiculed. Even that happens to me, I no longer point the finger at this guy and say, look at that crisscross pattern. So let me read an email from Roy Rochelle, one of our listeners. He emailed this morning, he says, Mel, we are in urgent need of an updated national report on chemtrails. They have become so obvious here in the San Francisco Bay Area. I counted six this morning, and I'm watching them very, very slowly spread out into the into the sky, turning into a very dull gray. Please, please get some updates. So, since I know that you touched this subject, why don't we begin with chemical trails? Sure, yeah. Well, I think for, I don't know if you, you probably don't have that many new listeners, but um this is basically uh, to explain to them what this idea is or what this observation is that we seem to have been uh, subjected to these persistent trails from aircraft, you know, more and more since probably the mid-1990s. And uh, it, it's quite mysterious, and I think it's probably a bit more mysterious than most people initially would, would think. And, uh, you know, what tends to happen is that you, you'll see aircraft going over, and, you know, I think both we both agree that when we were younger, when we were children, these trails appeared to just sort of fade away after, you know, a minute or half a minute or something like that. Contrails. But, yeah, contrails, exactly. And um, but now we often see these trails persisting 
for many minutes, uh, you know, up to an hour. People report even longer than that. Um, and then we get these strange effects where we'll get one plane, then another, then another, uh, you know, going more or less in the same flight path. And then these trails will sort of drift with the direction of the wind and form a kind of haze blanket almost. Well, I think you're and, discussing Chemtrails 101. I think we're pretty versed on that. Right. What's your new your new theory of what this is all about? What are they trying to accomplish? Have has you have your theories changed through the years? Well, a little bit. I mean, I still, you know, um, wonder about what's in the trails like most people. But but I've also done s some observations uh, systematically. And this really started back in 2010 when I'd got hold of a, an actual tracking box. And you can, you can still get these. It's called the AirNav Radar Box. And uh, this is a device... And there are, it's not the only one. I think there are several different models now with you know, varying sophistication and cost. And uh, this will pick up what's called ADS-B uh, broadcasts from aircraft. It's Automatic Dependent Surveillance Broadcast, I think is what it stands for. And um, this is a little black box uh, about the size of a uh, sort of external DVD player. Uh, for a computer and, you know, a sort of CD size thing. Um, and then you plug it into USB port, you download some software onto your computer, and then you run the software. You plug in an aerial, uh, just about, well, let's see, five, six inch long aerial, something like that, into this box. And then it will pick up broadcast from aircraft that are in your locality and display their position on a simulated display on the, on the screen of your computer. Now, people are probably thinking, oh, yeah, I know about that, Andrew, but you don't need to buy one of those because you can use planefinder.net or you can use uh, virtual radar or flight uh, radar 24. I think there's three or four different sites that are uh, putting this out now. And uh, yes, you can, but those networks are all actually uh, populated. The data is populated by people who've got these air nav radar boxes and other similar equipment, and they join a network, and then all their data is transmitted from their tracking box over the internet, you know, through their router at their, from their home to this sort of central server, which then puts the information on the website for you to download. So you don't actually need a tracking box. Now, um, I'll just mention because I had an email from from somebody saying, "Why can't we see planes being tracked over the South Pole?" And this is because the when you look at the planefinder.net website, the data comes from land-based uh, radar box detectors, right? And they have a range of about 200 miles. So in other words, when a plane goes out of, two, well, goes 200 miles from all the boxes in a given area, you won't get a signal picked up and fed into the planefinder.net network. So that's why... You don't see these planes on these websites going over the South Pole because it's not like a satellite tracking based system. What's happening is the plane is transmitting, the plane is picking up GPS from satellites, then the plane is transmitting that signal down to the ground, and then the detectors are posting that information on the internet. Let me interject, in, let me interject for a second, forgive me, but I know what you're saying regarding the, the southern, southern equator. The, 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 we can't see that many planes. Right. But I see planes right in the middle of the Atlantic where there's no land for over 500 miles. Sure, sure. What, what some of these sites do is they, they'll interpolate the path. So I think if the, if the um, data is, you know, um, if, if, you, if you get it up to a certain point, then it'll just extrapolate and it knows the flight path. So you will see that maybe some planes will actually be, appear to be tracked but actually they're not really being tracked. What it's doing is, in, is, is interpolating and working out the speed and they know it's going over the Atlantic, which is, you know, it doesn't really stop over the Atlantic. So it's just a uh, projection, not really... Yeah, I think it's okay. essentially a projection. Then it's picked up at the other side and then it'll be real tracked data. But yeah, that's a good point. But why why don't so, they project the ones in the south southern equator? Well, I, I don't know why they wouldn't do that, perhaps. 
I don't know why they wouldn't do that, but uh, it's just that's just a point about the way the radio signalling works. So maybe there is a question regarding the uh, you know the sort of why they would project one flight and not another. It might possibly be to do with um, the regularity of the flight or something like that. I, I you know I don't I honestly don't know the answer to that question, but um, that essentially the the tracking data can be used. For example, some people have pointed out, and they've done this, uh, such that uh, you can track a plane. You can, if, if you can see it, in, you know, visually with a camera, video camera, or with your eyes, and you can see if this plane is making a trail. And then, in theory, you can go onto the planefinder.net website or another website, or you can go onto your tracker box if you bought one, and you can look at that uh, path that's coming across your screen or your web page. And obviously, you can identify the plane. Um, and some people have tried, including me, have tried to do this. In other words, when they see a plane making a big long trail, you know, they can go onto plane. If I look at the plane number, they can get the flight number, they can get the airline, they can get the speed, they can get the altitude, etc. They can get all that data off that website or off their tracker box and write it down. Now, I tried to do this back in uh, 2010. And it's actually very difficult to get, uh, you know, a lot of data because, you know, what you've got to do is you've got to sit at home, you've got to wait for a sunny day, which is a particular problem here in the UK, as you might know. <laughs> right. And, um, right. And so, oh, yeah, okay, there's a plane, right, so I'll get my camera. So you grab your camera, you take a picture, then you run back inside, you look at your computer, can I see the track on the screen of that plane? Is it this one? Is it that one? You might have two you know, tracks close together, uh, and and you've got to keep doing that. So you've got to go in and out of the house, trying to take photographs. You've got to keep looking at your computer. And then if you want to do this, you know, to get a good set of data, you've got to spend a long time actually making these observations. And once this trail has gone across the screen, you know, that's it. The, 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 the tracking program won't necessarily store that data. And, you know, you, 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 you've lost it, really. So you've got to capture that at the moment you see this trail. Now, as you know and I know, we don't get trails every single day when it's a clear sky. This is one of the mysteries which I, I still don't think has been properly answered. Which is what I tell people when, when, when I tell them, look at that. And then they say, well, that's just a commercial airliner, Mel. And I tell them, I oh, really? So do they take a break on Tuesdays and Thursdays and Fridays? Because last week, there were none. That's it. That's exactly it. And 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 you you know you can look at any airline and you see that they essentially run a weekly timetable and you may have seasonal variations. Right. But it's but essentially it's a weekly timetable. So in theory, if you see one flight leaving a big long trail over your house, you know one week at a certain time, you should be able to go out within assuming the flight flight's not delayed or anything within sort of ten minutes, half an hour of that same time the next week. And you should see the same, pretty much the same plane, because they tend to fly the same routes and then just turn around and go back, don't they? In a lot of these flights, so uh, this is what I was, you know, working towards. Uh, and I was able in 2010. This is on my website to photograph uh, an, an EasyJet flight. EasyJet is a budget uh, UK airline, mm -hmm. and uh, I was able to get it on the tracker. I was able to get a video of it with a 12 megapixel. Canon SX20 camera, and, and which had a high zoom lens, 20, 20 times or 20x optical zoom. Uh, so I got a fairly good image of that plane. I was able to clearly identify that it wasn't easy jet. You know, I could see the little orange livery on the on the on the thing, and then it was a big long trail down to the horizon. So I you know got that on the video as well, and uh, I was quite surprised because up until that point of actually tracking this and identifying the aircraft. I kind of assumed that that these uh, trailing programs, you know, were were, were probably military uh, run, you know, and uh, I mean I'll talk a bit more about that later perhaps. But so it was quite a shock to see the civilian plane leaving what you know I assumed to be a chemtrail, and then about an hour later, because I was still we had still had clear clear weather and I still had my camera going and my tracker going, I saw another EasyJet flight come over, but this one wasn't leaving a trail. But according to the tracking data, it had the same uh, type of aircraft. It was an Airbus A111, funnily enough, uh, 
funny number, but that's what it was. And it was traveling at the same height, about 32,000 feet, same speed, about uh, 550 miles an hour or thereabouts. Same temperature. Yep. So in theory, it was, it was the same day. It was about an hour later. So it should have been pretty much the same temperature. It's over my house, you know, within probably looking up in the sky, half a mile or a mile of the previous one. So, so it should have been this pretty much the same atmospheric conditions, give or take. Yet this one wasn't leaving a long trail. The trail didn't persist. So um, I put all that data together into an email uh, and I sent it to the EasyJet airline. This oh, again. my God, really? Yeah, I asked, I asked them what was going on. I said, um, you know, what? why is this plane leaving a trail? And this? why isn't this one leaving a trail? You know, can you give me some kind of explanation as to why this is the case? And uh, they basically said, uh, we cannot answer your operational query. So uh, that was that, really. You know, I, I couldn't really get an answer out of them. Um, but I had and I still got this on my website, I had shown that there was this anomaly with this trailing, which uh, didn't, to me, make a lot of sense. Um, but that observation, you know, that single observation, I think I must have spent about two or three weeks, you know, uh, spending various days because I had work, you know, I couldn't do it every day because I had work to do and other things to be getting on with. I couldn't spend devote my whole time to it. Um so, but, so it took me to about two and a half, two weeks or three weeks, whatever it was, to get that observation. So I kind of, um, I left this tracker running for days on end, but the, the software used to crash, you know, and it was difficult to track the planes. And then I had a, I got a, a, a wireless webcam so that you could set this webcam up. You could, you, you could set the computer to take a picture. I wrote a little program to drive the webcam so that it would take a picture, you know, every uh, minute or every 30 seconds and save it to a file. So in other words, I could I could track the planes and photograph the sky at the same time. But this kept crashing and sometimes I had to take the laptop away because I needed it to, when I went away and you know, was doing things away. So I couldn't get a lot of data as it, as it turned out. And tracking these planes was a bit of a nightmare because of the way this data was formatted. Now, let me, let me so, speculate here for a moment about what you just said. That's a very interesting experiment that you conducted by seeing the same airliner, same type an hour later and no no persistent chemtrails there. Mm. So what I'm thinking is sometimes you have airplanes that have a low seat occupancy, for example, you know, 50% full or 40% full. And I know what they do is they sell their space and they bring cargo inside. What if all these planes are now equipped for a, you know, they have the, 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 the way to disperse these, whatever it is that they're spraying, but all these planes are equipped, agreed by the airliners. And maybe there's an agreement with whoever's behind this NATO, just fill in the blanks. And they say, hey, if you have 50 or less percent of occupancy, let's bring our stuff and you can, you know, we can even operate this, you know, remote control. The pilots, the captain doesn't even need to know. What do you think about that? Well, I think, I, I don't know, really. That That's obviously more speculative. And I think yes. that logistically, that would be difficult to to um, you know to to sort out really to get that running in a reliable way and keep it. You know, if you imagine these, the airports are public. Uh, you know, they are public places, really. You know, and there are other people who can see what's going on with the planes. You know, if they if they're looking closely enough, a lot of course, a lot of people don't pay attention. They get on the plane, you know, and they just switch on their start reading a book or look at the magazine and then when they get underway they'll get their iPad out or whatever now you know um so I don't know I I, I don't think that's what's going on and I'll, I'll I'll come back come back to that a bit later perhaps but but what I wanted to just go on to is that the, the difficulties with this with this tracking that I'd I'd had the practical difficulties then led me on later and this is going back to uh I think early 2013 because I discovered that in 2013 there was a, a new way of tracking planes that became available, and that's using a little um, credit card-sized computer, which is called Raspberry Pi, uh, which some listeners might have heard of. And Can you spell it? It's uh, the, the fruit Raspberry, and then the Greek letter Raspberry Pi. 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 Okay. Raspberry Pi, yeah. And basically what this was done, this was, this was designed and uh, built in the UK, and they've now sold 5 million of these worldwide. 
And it's it, what it basically is, to simplify, it's, it's like the guts of a mobile phone, you know, because you know that a modern Android phone or an iPhone is actually a highly sophisticated computer uh, packed into a very small unit. And th this is essentially what a Raspberry Pi is. It's just the computer bit. You know, there's no screen, there's no keyboard, there's no, there's no, uh, you know, audio system. Uh, that's well, there's no speakers on. It. There is an audio system. There's no speakers on it. And then what you can do is you can put uh, a memory card into it with an operating system on there, Linux, as, as an example, and. Um, you can then program it to do whatever you want, and it's it's really fabulous if you're a, you know a sort of computer nerd like me and a, a techie person, because there's loads of stuff you can do with it. And I found out that I could use this for tracking planes, which meant I didn't need to use the laptop. Not only that, you could buy a five megapixel camera to plug into it, which you could then you know program the unit to take pictures every minute or whatever, and then you could even program it to generate time-lapse videos uh, automatically after dusk and and I, I wrote the program to do this and I modified some other plane detection software a bit that was the hard bit that was already done and um, I ended up getting uh, six of these because they were very cheap they're only about sort of uh, $30 $35 for these computers now and you can get a tracking uh, you can get the tracking bit on a dongle, a USB dongle, which is normally designed for receiving digital TV and digital radio, it will also receive these ADSB, the automatic dependent surveillance broadcasts, from aircraft. You know, I'd found out all this in sort of half by accident, half by because I was interested in seeing what could be done. And then I was also able to make the thing track the aircraft and generate, actually generate little plots of where the aircraft had gone. So in other words, I could do, the basic idea was, right, look, set it up, set it going, and forget it. You know, I can go and do my work, and blah, 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 and then I can come back at the end of the day, or after a few days, I can look at all the time-lapse videos that have been shot, I can look at all the data, I can look at all the planes that have gone across, and then I can see if I can match any trails that are picked up on the time-lapse with the, uh, you know, the tracking that's actually, tracking data that's been saved on the Raspberry Pi. Uh, and then I had six of these running around the UK, d uploading data to my Raspberry Pi every night, and I had this running for about six, six or nine months. So over that period, I was able to gather oh, something like three hundred thousand observations. I think it was something like that uh, of every you know uh, minute. I think it was something like that if you worked it all out. And then I was able to build a database. Uh, from those observations, and basically what my objective was, to describe it simply, I simply wanted to do a, a very simple thing which no one else, I don't think, has done before or since. That is, look at the days when we got trailing, right, and count the aircraft. Because this thing, this Raspberry Pi, I could count the aircraft that came over my house, you know, in half an hour, an hour, a day, whatever. So I wanted to see if there was any correlation between the number of aircraft that came over the house and the number of trails that appeared on the day we got trails, if you see what I mean. So you'd think, for example, that uh, if, if we got a day with a load of trails, you know, we should have a measurable increase in the, in the amount of air traffic mm -hmm. because you'd think, well, these aircraft are coming from somewhere uh, and they're leaving trails and we don't get them on under the days. So I think these must be additional aircraft to what we what I normally see on the days when there's no trails. And that was my objective, and, it, and it's not as simple as it sounds. But if you go onto my website and look at the uh, write-up, and I've made a, I've made a fifty-minute video about this as well. So if people want to watch the video, that kind of explains all of this and more. Uh, and it's called a systematic attempt to measure aircraft traffic uh, and uh, count aircraft trails using a Raspberry Pi network. A bit of a mouthful, but so what were your conclusions then? Right, so the conclusions were basically when I'd processed all this data, and you know, everyone can see how I did it, and you can download all the data if you want, or if you want any from me, you know, you can you can get I'll send you all the data that's not already on the website. What I found was on the days when we got a lot of trails, there was no measurable increase in the detected number of aircraft. And in fact, when I depending on how I actually looked at the figures, because what you could do is you could total these figures up by hour or you could total them up by day. 
and 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 this produced slightly different results in terms of you know because sometimes the chemtrailing doesn't go on all day as you probably observed. Sometimes it only goes on in the afternoon and the morning is clear or vice versa. Right. You know, so 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 the pattern. Well, certainly what it's like here in the UK. I don't maybe it's different for you, but that's what it's like in the UK. Um, so so it depends how you total all this up. But what I found was that on the days when we got a lot of trails, if anything, there was actually a slight decrease in the number of aircraft that were detected by the tracker, which is which is the opposite of what you'd think. So, you know, what conclusions can you draw from this? Well, um, very difficult because what you might, what I found is also that something like only about 40% of the aircraft that have these ADSB uh, devices in them only about 40% actually transmit their location, right? So that means that although you can pick up the signal from the aircraft, it doesn't tell you where it is on your map. Well, so, I wanted to ask you this. Do these alleged chemtrail planes, do they have a tail number? Do they have actually a transponder that's beeping out their location? Right. Well, this I picked up a couple of examples, and I think I've got about something like five or six um, and I've put some of these into the report where I was able to go onto the time-lapse video, look at the trail, and identify which aircraft had made the trail, right? Um, and the, these were all civilian aircraft. I couldn't really – this thing doesn't allow you to track military, military aircraft yeah. very well. Yeah. So as you, as you may imagine, they, they use obviously some kind of different system or some encoded uh, broadcast or something. Um, I understand if there are any people that use these trackers. I think I understand there are certain ways you can track military aircraft, um, but uh, I, I didn't actually do that. I stuck with the what you know data I was getting from the public, sort of way that it was done. Um, so the conclusion really was um, that that I, I mean I couldn't find I couldn't prove, for example, that military aircraft were laying down these trails. What I could show is that a lot of and, and not all of the aircraft that left trails were identifiable some of them were identifiable and but most were not and i had one particularly lucky event which was uh filmed by a tracker up in the northwest of england that was running at my brother's house because he lives about 100 miles from here and he set one up at his his house and just to describe what this thing is it's an indoor thing you know i didn't weatherproof it so you've got to have it in a in a bedroom or something you know, upstairs, pointing out and getting a, a clear view of the sky, you know. And but there at my brother's house, I got I've got a whole sequence where it, it's basically trailing from about eight o'clock in the morning till about four in the afternoon, and there are grids and lines and grids and lines and grids and lines. And you can see them all on the time lapse, but I think on the actual aircraft log, I only had about two of those aircraft that I could identify that had left those trails. In other words, all this gridding and, you know, lines, I couldn't see any of that on the tracked data. I could, you know, the, you could clearly see these grids and yet you couldn't see it in the tracked data. And that is a mystery that why there should have been so many aircraft that are not showing their position, you know. And it's not to do with the tracker not picking it up because these aircraft are coming right over the thing, you know, and the tracker is, does have the range to pick this up. And that was proved from the other aircraft that uh, that uh, were actually picked up. So, you know, all the data is there. People can repeat this because all this stuff that I used is, is easily, you know, you can get it for about... Um, Oh, something like $80. And they've now produced a new version of the Raspberry Pi as well, which makes it even cheaper because I had to use, for example, a little wireless internet dongle to plug into it so that I could link these to the router at the person's house. But now the Raspberry Pi has come out with a wireless networking built into it, so you don't even need that dongle. So that knocks about you know, a few pounds off, a few dollars off the price. So it's it's relatively easy to, to, to sort of, put one of these trackers up but to get it running you know you do need a bit of techie knowledge you need to know a little bit about linux the linux operating system and this sort of thing so it's not a few people that contacted me that were interested but they didn't they didn't really sort of follow through i think because they they were having a little bit of trouble with some of the some of the sort of technicalities of uh, setting it up but it would be worthwhile i think for somebody to try and run one of these trackers 
uh, in a in a country that has better weather he- than here, um, because that was that was the biggest problem that I ran into was was the lack of clear days here, and I had to I had to produce various workarounds for that. Well, I have over three hundred su- sunny days where I am, so right. it would be a matter of uh, getting one and being able to to have a brother who who knows Red Hat and Linux, so hopefully he can help me with that. But I'd be I'd be happy to volunteer because this is right. this is one of those enigmatic topics that still just makes me scratch my my head all the time right and and so so um yeah maybe we'll get that set up and we'll see what uh, what comes of it um and it is you know it's quite an interesting thing to set up um but going on to the general issue general issue of what are these trails one of the things i've been saying to people is you know i've been watching the trails since uh, at least 2005 possibly a little bit before uh, but it was the 10th of June 2005 when I photographed one of these grids, you know, over well, not quite over the top of my house, but very, very short distance away. And that picture I actually sent to Coast to Coast AM, you know, the, the, the sure. famed talk show. They posted it on their website. And, and since then, that picture has gone around the world, you know, five times because I've seen it posted on various blogs and things, you know, and uh, which is fine. And, um, so in other words, that was 10th of June 2005, and I was even observing the trails before then. So I've been living under these trails for 11 years, right, here in the UK. And I've watched them, I've photographed them periodically, as we've just discussed. Yet, I have not seen any toxic effects on the ground. Uh, for example, residue. People say it's, you know, various theories have come up now. Uh, you know, barium, barium, aluminum, strontium, all that, yeah. And so forth. And also the latest one from J. Marvin Herndon, which you may or may not have heard of, is this coal fly ash. He's, he's written this allegedly scientific paper saying that coal fly ash was yeah. being used because, you know, they, they couldn't dispose of it. And that, that went all over the internet, I think, about four or five months ago. But I, you know... We occasionally in this country, we get um, air currents coming up from the Sahara. This is quite rare. It only happens once every few years. And, you know, a couple of times I've been out to the car and I've seen this sort of, you know, brown residue on the windscreen, you know, quite, you know, not really, really heavy, but, you know, quite noticeable. You've got to wash wash your screen before you set off, before you can't see properly. But I've never seen that here. I've never seen any residue you know, I, I've never seen anything on the ground. I, I communicated with a, a chap in um, who's in the one of the former Eastern Bloc countries. I can't remember, it's Hungary or Czechoslovakia. He had a, a, a posting going on Facebook, and he he lives in an, a forested area, and he's been watching the trails for years and years. And he sort of sat up one day and said, "Hang on, if this." If we've got all this toxic chemicals, you know, I'm not seeing any nox- toxic effects where I am. I'm not seeing, I'm not seeing uh, my trees dying off. I know other people have reported that. I've heard the, probably the same stories as you have. But in other words, this is very strange because if these trails universally contain, you know, barium, strontium, aluminium, coal, fly ash, whatever, if they universally contain that, in other words, all the trails that you and I see contain those compounds, then the effects that we see on the ground should be pretty similar, really, wouldn't you think? You know, absolutely. But- and this is this is the part that makes me wonder because, as you say, you know, we're not seeing people fall like flies. If it's coal right. ash, or if it's aluminium, 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 or aluminium, how you call it uh, over there. Yeah. Then, then you start wondering. I mean, we think of fluoride, for example, which is a byproduct of aluminum. And we had a company that started selling it to the local water supply companies because that, that was the cheapest way to dispose of it. Couldn't the same be happening by just disposing it this way? And if the again, I don't want to get conspiratorial here, but if this could dumb down the population or pacify them, then why not? Well, there is that possibility. I don't, from everything that I've looked at so far, I don't think civilian aircraft are dumping barium and aluminium. That's the first thing I'd say. Now, what the military is doing, you know, it's very, very difficult to find that out. Um, So there may be some type of spraying program going on, but my conclusion from partly from doing this, uh, this sort of research with the Raspberry Pi system and so forth, is I don't think that all these trails that we see are all toxic. It may be that some of them are, and that's kind of mixed in with with other ordinary trails, right? But there, but 
This still doesn't explain the grids formations. I don't really know what, what causes the grids to form and why they are there. And not only that, but if you watch this 50-minute video that I made about this tracking project, I also include in that some other pictures that have been sent to me and others that I've found. For example, circular trails. There was a, a really weird picture yeah. which was taken in the UK ooh, three, four years ago now. It was taken about 50 miles from here over towards the... the um, the east coast of England in a place called um, uh, Louth, I think it was. And um, that uh, showed concentric rings, you know. It was, well, so it was, someone may say, well, Andrew Mel, this could be a holding pattern for a plane. Yeah, well, the claim was for this particular picture that it was a NATO flight um, doing some sort of tracking or something. But it's I've seen several of these circular trails now. I've put them in the video and... You know, I'm not sure I buy it. I'm not. I don't know what it is. Um, you know, I, I really don't know what what these what these patterns are. However, I am convinced that there is something going on, like most of us who listen to this program are, because. And you, you, if you haven't seen this, I think again I might have put a clip of it in the video, but I can't remember. It's easy to find. If you go and look at the BBC's. Um, Wimbledon tennis coverage uh, from 2013, I think was the first year that they used it. We have uh, BBC coverage of the Wimbledon tennis championships, as you know, I know you get it in the States as well. Um, but on the, the BBC, they have this like when the championships are going on, they have like a, a nightly program. You know, I used to watch Wimbledon quite regularly. I was quite a big fan of it. I don't watch it so much now. But I, I used to watch this program where they had the highlights. And when they have the opening credits for this program, the opening sequence, which is about 40 seconds long, they show all the major players, you know, uh, Djokovic, mm -hmm. Andy Murray, and, and all these other guys, you know, these uh, marvellous players, uh, highly skilled. Um but in in the background, they've they've you know they've they've clearly made composite images here. They're not just straight from a match, you know, just filmed. They're they're composited, and you'll see in the background of each of these tennis players, they've got chemtrails or you know persistent trails in the back in this in the sky. Every single shot, you know, it's like right really in your face once you see it. Well, I wanted to say I'm glad you mentioned that because I was going to say that even now we have certain we have. TV commercials, or even older movies that are now on DVD. This is probably well, the 80s. Now they're they're more or less changing the sky on those movies, well, almost to... That, to, to you, you've uh, got to be careful about this, because, uh, yeah, I've heard of this, right? And, and, and I'd heard that they changed these. I'm not sure they've changed them, right? And I'll tell you why. Um, somebody sent me an email, this was oh, five years ago, six years ago, saying that they'd seen a chemtrail in the Italian job, right? <laughs> Which is, uh, you know, the Michael Caine film. And um, that, I think, was made 1969, I think it was. It may have been a bit earlier. I should maybe just check that. Um, but, yeah, so so they said they found this trail. And then I went onto eBay and I got um, uh, the um, one of the earlier... VHS tapes from I think 1998 or I forget when when it was uh, when it was actually yeah it was 1969 that film um, it was uh, yeah I got the VHS tape from about 1998 or something like that or even earlier and I, I it's near the end of the film where you see this trail in the picture if anyone wants to go and look at it it's where the bus is hanging off the cliff. And they're, you know, they've got this gold at the back of the bus and they all have to go to the other end. And you see a shot from below, sort of down, way down the cliff and the bus is teetering on the edge of the cliff. And then you see a shot of the sky and you see this trail in the sky. And that is in the VHS version, which was in 1998. So I don't, if, they've got, if that's in the DVD, well, I can tell you it was in the VHS version as well because I've got it. Um, the one thing they did do, though, similar to what you just said, there was a 1970 film, uh, which was very popular in the UK, a children's film, essentially, or a family film, called The Railway Children, which is a delightful story. I've got an article about this on my website as well. Um, that uh, had a, a segment in it where they were these children were sort of, you know, walking down through a field, a meadow, towards the railway line. And then uh, you see a sort of blue sky in the background, beautiful sunny day. And then that segment 
was reused in a commercial, which was for a British uh, railway company. Uh, in, and that commercial was made in 2005. So that's uh, uh, 35 years later. But it was in the commercial that they reused this shot from the 1970 film and they inserted the trail in the top left-hand corner of the frame. And that again, this is all on my website. Now, a very enterprising young chap, or probably I shouldn't say young chap because he's probably older than me, um, uh, called Phil, he actually found out who made this commercial for the company. The company was called Virgin Trains. Uh, and he found out who made the film. Uh, uh, sorry, who made the commercial, rather. And he wrote to them, and they actually... Uh, confessed that they had deliberately added the trail to this footage. Uh, <laughs> Why? And we've got the, well, they they said that they wanted to make it more modern. Oh uh, my goodness! See, here's the deal. I've seen commercials. I've seen even children's toys commercials where you see the chemtrails. It's almost like they're acclimatizing, if you will, right, the right, the younger right. generations because one day we'll die, right? But this new generation will always remember chemtrails. Exactly, exactly, and I think this is it. It's a long-term thing, and the get it into getting it subliminally into in the population. And and you're right, you know, the the Disney Cars film that's got trails sort of just faintly in the sky, and that's yes. all CGI. So, and the the over the hedge film as well. That's I've got all this on my website, and there's, there are probably I'm sure that if people write to me after this, I'll probably get fifty other examples. So we know that there's something going on that that is being done deliberately by someone. Well, it's a great del delivery mechanism because let's say everybody's used to chemtrails now. Pretty much all the millennials are used to that. So they see these things in the sky all the time. So most of the time, let's call them benevolent. But one day they decide to put something else, a you know mandatory vaccination for the whole population. There's a, a terrorist attack and they just need to, and I saw this by the way, on September the 12th, 2011, and I saw the video where Rumsfeld was asked by a Canadian reporter, Mr. Rumsfeld, what would you be doing, Mr. Secretary, what would you be doing if there's another terrorist attack in order to, to calm the population? And he said, no problem. We can have aeros aerosolized, uh, uh, what did he say, Valium or something along those lines. And I never saw that video again. Yeah, um, it, 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 it's it's you know this is possible, but I think there are probably easier ways of doing it than through aircraft. I mean, you know, there, the, the, there's all this talk of um, uh, the water the, supply. Know, yeah, yeah. I think if we done if they were going to do something like that, they'd probably try and get it in the water supply or you know things like aspartame, for example, which people take voluntarily. Um, and um, you know, so 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 I think it was more likely to be done by that. I mean, think if you wanted to put this stuff in a trail, for example, um, okay, they, they they could they could probably sort of switch it on and off over areas of population, for example. And they do, again, by the way. I have seen well, that. Yeah, I, I I have seen that too, actually, or similar things like that, and that adds another element to the mystery as to why you know I've seen these broken trails being uh, switched on and off. Um, and, and so on. So, you, you know, it, it, it is still a mystery why this is happening um, over areas of population. But it's, it's not very efficient, though, because they're going to waste a lot because everything that comes out the back of the plane isn't going to, going to end up in True. people's lungs. You know? True. So they're going to waste a lot of stuff. Yes, but, but at least, you know, we have very, very sophisticated filters here for our water. We don't consume Aspartame, you know, sometimes they're, you know, right. right, there's there's this fight for labeling everything and we're losing that. But as long as there's labeling, we're not consuming that. But as you say, yeah, they can lose it. But at least if they do it over a populated area, it's going to get into people's air vents and so on. But, you know, I have property in Mexico and I always mm -hmm. tell people that I sit down just to observe the chemtrails. Sometimes I sit in the morning, blue sky, and there's this one lonely plane that comes over the ocean. And the moment it hits land over the ocean, boom, that's when they turn on the chemtrails. It goes to the other side of town. It's a very small town. And the moment he's leaving that populated area, they turn off the chemtrails again. They turn off the chemtrails. Right. So so that, that that's an interesting phenomenon, isn't it? But I'm going to sort of suggest something else which might be going on. And I want to draw an analogy here first. We, as you know from speaking to Dr. Judy Ward... And, uh, you know, to, we, I think we probably discussed this last time I came on. 
the story of 9-11 is, you know, we have the official story with uh, OBL, you know, and all that. And uh, we all know that that's completely false. You'd be alternative then, stories, the plant opposition, right, yeah. Right. But then we have all these uh, other sort of second tier cover up, you know, such as bombs in the building, the, the remote controlled planes, you know, and thermite, uh, nukes. thermite, nukes, all that, you know, and you've been through this at great length with Dr. Judy very thoroughly. And we now know that that is untrue, you know, and I've, I've said before, and I'll say it again, I, I bought into that for probably almost a couple of years. I thought there were bombs in the buildings. So this is, the, this is the false story. That's the false story. And then we now know it's not a theory, you know, that was an energy weapon that destroyed the towers, and that's all documented meticulously in Dr. Wood's book. I've written bits and pieces about it. I've made videos. You know, we got the irrefutable video, which uh, kindly featured yourself, uh, or, you know, we're glad that you were in it. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And people can watch the irrefutable video if they haven't seen it, which was made by Adam Dwyer. Yeah, uh, Adam did a great right. job. He did, yeah. He did an absolutely wonderful job. So in looking at some of this uh, chemtrail stuff, I'm wondering if something similar is, is going on because a lot of the alternative knowledge community is convinced that all the trails, you know, all the trails are toxic spray. And there's a lot of fear porn being generated by that. And I'd you know, this may be sort of bad form slightly, but I'd like to give you an example of one person that is that is promoting all of that very heavily, and that's Dane Wigington. Now, he's, I know some people really like what he's done, you know, bringing attention to the geoengineering issue and so forth. Uh, and you know, he's got a website with a lot of information on it. Um, but uh, he will not talk about 9-11 or at least when he does talk about 9-11, and I've got an article about this on my website, he has on Richard Gage. And Dame Wigington says in that interview with Gage, he says there is literally one person disagreeing with uh, 2,200 uh, engineers in Architects and Engineers 9-11 Truth, uh, talking about lasers from space, and that's Dr. Judy mm. Ward. Hmm. So to me... That and I know people that have written to Dame Wigington and tried to correct him on this issue, and he then made another statement um, a few months later. Again, both of these are on my website, the recordings, where he said he doesn't actually care about nine eleven, doesn't care what happened, and I've got the audio of him saying that. Now, this to me is extremely peculiar, uh, not just because of him saying he doesn't care what happened on nine eleven, but you know and I know. From Dr. Wood's research, she discovered the connection to Hurricane Aaron, you know, and its movements traveling in a straight line for four days towards New York City and to make it a right-hand turn on the 12th and mm -hmm. going out towards Newfoundland. Now, I will—I don't know if Dr. Wood will say this, but I will say that's geoengineering, I think. I'm, I'm pretty convinced that that is geoengineering. And I would expect somebody like uh, Dame Wigington, who runs a site called Geoengineering Watch, to go... Hmm. Well, yeah, that that really is pretty pretty interesting. Uh, I think I need to look into that more deeply. But no, he doesn't do that. He. I, I actually, would. I would. I would personally. I've had him on the show before. I would personally ask him that question point blank. Yeah. Well, I know other people that have done this. In fact, I was uh, doing another broadcast with uh, uh, a chap called Jeff Brady, or another recording. This was about a week ago, and he's he's done exactly the same. He said, you know, he says he's talked to Dame Wigginton a lot. He 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 really, you know, thinks he's a good guy and everything. Uh, and yet, uh, you know, he, he he won't entertain this issue. And and this 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 happens a lot. And I'll give you another similar example. Uh, because I got involved with this group called Skyguards, which is like a European initiative looking into the chemtrails issue. And it's been essentially set up by a lady called Josefina Fry Martin, uh, who uh, was, I think she's based in Spain. She, I know she is, uh, speaks Spanish, uh, but she, she, yeah, she is based in Spain. And we actually went to the European Parliament in April 2013, almost three years ago now, unbelievably, and we had a gathering of about 50 people there, and Michael Murphy came across for that meeting. I met Michael Murphy there, and we had a few other people there as well. And um, I actually did a, a five-minute address where I you know, mentioned Hurricane Erin. And uh, within that group, there is another chap um, called Rosario, I forget his second name, but his pseudonym on the internet is Tanker Enemy. Tanker Enemy. You may be familiar with, with some of his videos about chemtrails. 
and he produced uh, a video about... Rosario Marciano. No, it wasn't him. It's, it's his first... Uh, oh, it might be him. No, that's that he did the nine eleven film, didn't he? Didn't he? Um, well, no, Rosario. Well, Rosario Marciano, he's tanker enemy. All oh, right, okay, uh, yeah, Italian. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, he's Italian. That's right. Yeah, I got his second name mixed up. Thank you. Yeah, that's 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 the same guy then. So um, he made this film in the last, oh, I think it must be just over a year ago, called uh, Chemtrails: The Secret War, which was all in Italian, uh, and then they had English subtitles. And um, it's about half an hour long, I think. And within that film, he featured one of the things I've just talked about. He featured the railway children thing, you know, where we, the film had been changed um, for the commercial mm -hmm. and, the, and the, the trailer had been put in the commercial. But he misreported that. He didn't report that story correctly. And I watched his his video as well. And I knew, I knew that he'd uh, you know, not reported that correctly because that information came from my website. And he didn't put a link to my website in the video or in the credits or anything. You know, I don't really mind that. What I, I care about is accurate information. You know, if the information is inaccurate and people don't know how to reference it, then, you know, that that's not very good in my book. Um, you know, and, and, that, and I, I wrote to him, and he was a member of the Skygrass group too, and, and I pointed that out to him that that was, that was an, an error. And I pointed out a couple of other things that I didn't think. None of the people that were in the film, they had no biographies. He got all these speakers in the film, but he didn't have any biographies. Uh, none of the information was referenced or anything like that. So I just thought it was a bit, you know, I didn't really think it was that that good because you couldn't check the information. And he, and, and he, he, you know, he just wrote back to me and he just sent me a very rude response, you know. Uh, he didn't. He wasn't, uh, and I wasn't rude in the criticism. You know, I said, "Look, you know, I think this, the, these these things could be, you know, you, you need to add some references here, for example, if you could." And he could have put it in the description, you know, but he just he, he was just rude to me in response. What about you know? what about Michael Murphy and his financial sponsor? I believe uh, he is G. Edward Griffin. Well, um, uh, you know, again, Michael Murphy, uh, I, I put into his hand when I met him at the, at the Skyguards meeting in uh, in Brussels. I, I gave him a copy of Dr. Judy Wood's presentation uh, from uh, the one that she did in Holland in 2012, which is one of the more comprehensive ones, I think. And it was a good; they, they did a good video recording of that, you know, and it was well edited and things like that. And I put that DVD into his hand and he said, thank you, you know, or, or, you know, I've been looking forward to this or something like that. But I've never heard him speak about it since. So, you know, uh, I, I'm not quite sure. He's never contacted me since. You know, I don't, I'm, as far as I'm aware, he hasn't got to contacted Dr. Judy Wood. So, um, you know, again, uh, I would think these would be among the first people to be interested in this information. But... Uh, both the Hurricane Erin information and you know, stuff related to that, and also this tracking project, which I've I've tried to do, and I I, I just wish somebody could improve on it somehow. You know, I I, I made suggestions on how to improve on it. Um, you know, I felt that I'd I'd spent enough time on it for what I wanted to spend on it. But do we have ways to improve uh, it? Apologies for interrupting, but do we have you? I mean, I can say this to you. I don't like to talk about UFOs when we're talking about chemtrails or other things, but I can t tell you because, you know, that's how you started when the Disclosure mm. Project came along. That's right. The UFO Reporting Center. Do we have a chemtrail reporting center where people can actually log in and say, yep, chemtrail today over my town, Bloom, and we can actually create a database that tells us more or less what's happening? Uh, I think there may be such a site. I'm not sure. I don't. I don't know to be honest with you. Is my honest answer. I did try and set something like this um, up in um, on a web page that I'd set up on my website a few years ago. But you have to be very disciplined to get this set up. And then also, as I again, you back to the problem of matching that up with the the plane tracking data. And when I had this tracking project going, it was. It was useful because I could, I for example, could see I could compare the locations. In other words, when I was getting trails in one location, you know these these locations were a couple of hundred miles apart, sort of thing. So there were significant distances apart. I was able to essentially do that automatically because I had a record, you know, from the ca camera which was photographing the sky continually. I could just do that m myself. I didn't need anyone to report it, but you know. I, whether the difficulty would be what would that what would happen with that data? Who would process it? Who would make measurements? 
who you know who would who would count it up. I, you know that that's the difficulty. I'm going to tell you something that I've never said before, but I told you that I I have property in Mexico and I observe these things all the time. I called the Mexican Air Force a few years ago, and I spoke to an assistant to a brigadier general, and I asked him about these planes, and he told me off the record, I can't tell you other than they're not our planes, and that's all I'm going to say. That's all I got. Right, that's interesting, and I've heard other similar um, sort of accounts from from pilots that they do know stuff. What I should have said was, if they're not your planes, how are you allowing them to fly over your sovereign airspace? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to go back uh, just a tiny bit, which ties in link partly to what you just said. And I remember distinctly. I think you said you've. I'm sure you've had you've had Scott Stevens on, haven't you? Yes. Before? Yes. Sure. Now, I remember seeing a video of him a few years ago, and we have, you know, Dr. Wood and I have communicated with him. It was a while back. But he 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 said something along the lines of that some of these flights were being done as markers and the trails were being used as markers for where they wanted to move weather systems. Or I, that might not have been his exact words. I think I think that was in... Uh, At the, the point where they intersect... Left. Yeah, it's something like that. I think he said that in the second Michael Murphy film, the why why in the world are they spraying? I think I think he said it in that. Now, I think he might be onto something there because what I'm going to put forward as an idea, and I've I've said this a few times, and I'm, I I know it doesn't explain all all the chemtrail sort of things that people have seen the chemtrail sort of uh, sort of you know data essentially, but I think it might explain some of it. Even this idea of where they go over a city and the trail appears and then, you know, they get off the other side and then it stops. It might even possibly explain that. And this is what I think might be going on. We know from 9-11, I would say, that uh, they can move storm systems around because that's what they, I would say they did with Hurricane Erin. And I, I would propose that they're doing this using some version of Wilhelm Reich's orgone energy technology, which, of course, he was ground-based. Or, or it's something like that. And I think they, you know, we can clearly see they used energy on 9-11 to destroy the towers in, in various modes. And I think that's what they're doing with storm systems. Now look so, at Hurricane Katrina. And also last year, I don't know if you remember this, but allegedly the most, the, the biggest hurricane in the history of recorded hurricanes, remember that? Really? Approaching Puerto Vallarta. And I have friends who live down there, American people who live down there. And they didn't even feel the wind as it was approaching. Really? Mm-hmm. That's interesting, isn't it? And frightening. So explain that to me. We saw it on radar. Everybody was saying, look at this monster hurricane, the biggest hurricane in the history. And then all of a sudden, it just dissipated, boom, he got in, and nobody even felt uh, wind. I thought that was very, very interesting. Either the hurricane was not there. And we were being, you know, I don't know, maybe Mexico has been threatened with something. Who knows? It is interesting. And that's one of many weather anomalies. Certainly here we've had them in the UK. So I would, you know, I would suggest that we have active, ongoing geoengineering going on now, right? And it's using energy-based technology. I know not where. Some people say it's NextRad. Some people say it's Gwen Towers. Some people say it's HARP. I don't think it's HARP, Um, you know. I, I, I don't really know what the technology is, but what I what I suggest is that somehow energy is being put into the atmosphere and it's changing the way that the atmosphere behaves. And I think what it could also be doing, right, is a side effect of the changes to the atmospheres is what's precipitating these trails more. In other words, these trails during geoengineering activity are more likely to appear than when there is no geoengineering activity. Because if you imagine that what they're doing is moving weather systems around from time to time, directing, say, some form of energy into the atmosphere, like, for example, take my example of the EasyJet flight, where one hour, one hour I got a trail, the next hour I didn't. What if in that first hour they had some geoengineering technology being, you know, sh- shifting around part of the atmosphere over my near my house, and then the second hour it, they'd move that energy away to another location to do something else. You know, it doesn't explain all of the evidence, but what I think might be happening is w- what we're seeing with the trails is we're seeing the effect, not the cause, if you see what I mean. Certainly. And that, w- that would explain they, why they still need to normalise the appearance of trails because 
if their goal is, as President Kennedy suggested in his 1961, was it 1962? No, 1961 UN speech that they were going to get together with the Russians to control the weather. And he really did say that, you know. Did you know that? Yes, I do. Yeah. So, so, so if that was the goal, and that is indeed now what they've done, then they need to... You know, they need to normalise the appearance of the trails if they knew that that was going to be one of the side effects that we would end up seeing. So that it kind of explains that bit, but I don't, I don't know whether it explains you know all, all the other chemtrail type anomalies. Well, if this technology exists, and after watching 9/11 and what happened, mm -hmm. I I have no reason to believe that they don't have that technology. This is 16 years, uh, 15 years later. Then there's no reason for a country to feel threatened by a hurricane if they can manipulate and take him up north and, and dissipate them. But at the same time, they can't say that that exists because then insurance company would have made, for example, I was looking at property last year in Florida and I stopped for the mere reason that in, hurricane insurance there is so expensive. And if you were to tell the population, well, no worries, we can actually manipulate these hurricanes and they're not going to make any damage. That would affect the revenue stream of a insurance company and many others. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So, you know, you can see that they've got to be very careful of the way that they do this. And I think one of the things that chemtrails have become is they've become another fear card. You know, True. going back to the 80s, everyone was going to be afraid that we we're going to get nuked, you know, in the next five minutes. But now for people that have looked at all the internet stuff, They're afraid that they're going to be, you know, poisoned by chemtrails by the time, you know, five years have passed and they're going to be full of barium and aluminium and it's going to kill them, you know, and, and they need all these detox programs and stuff. I think they have so, more chances of dying by the water that they drink, I think. I, I would tend to agree with you, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, if, you, if you're not, if you're not uh, careful about how, what, how you drink and how you eat, that's more likely to, to either badly affect your health or kill you, yeah. And they tell people all the time, and we have to take a one and only intermission. I didn't expect one hour of chemtrail talk, but I think it's necessary to give give an update to the listeners. We have so much to discuss when we come back. But what I tell people all the time, if really the government really was intending to take care of you, they would put probably they would magnesium in the water, which is completely devoid, and, and perhaps some sulfur in the water, which is devoid. It, we don't have that in the soil, yet they put uh, uh, they put uh, fluoride and fluorosis. People, I just cannot believe you go to the dentist here, a dental practitioner, and they just put all these fluoride in your teeth, or they have fluoridated baby water when they don't even have teeth. I just don't understand it. And I believe California was trying to get, um, or, or I believe Oregon or Washington, because of their incidents of suicides, they were planning to put, uh, what is that uh, chemical that, that they put, they give people with depression? What's uh, Fluoxetine or the uh, uh, Prozac? No, no, it's not Prozac. It's uh, lithium, lithium. Oh, yeah. They wanted yeah. to put lithium in the water to reduce the incidence of suicide. But that's a, a different story. Andrew, how can people learn more about your work, your website and so on? Yeah, we'll just go to checktheevidence.com. Uh, there's a search button on there. You can search for the things. If anybody can't find anything that they're interested in um, or wants to ask me anything, there's a contact button. Just click on there. The message is limited to a thousand characters to sort of try and reduce spam a bit. But if you look around, you, you'll easily find my email address as well. So happy to answer any questions uh, that come up. Uh, I'd be glad to hear from you. When we come back, I'd like to discuss your interview. I believe you interviewed Edgar Fouché for five hours about the TR-3B Astra spacecraft, if I can call it a spacecraft. When we come back, we'll discuss more of that. I'm here with Andrew Johnson directly from the UK. This is Mel Fambergas. And you are listening to Veritas. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening to the first segment of this very important Veritas interview. If you enjoyed it and wish to listen to the rest, go to veritasradio.com, click on members or subscribe, or tell someone else who will enjoy this and all our radio programs. If you are listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store, where you can purchase pure organic sulfur, earthing and grounding products supplements, a USB drive with all our shows, gift certificates, rebounders, fulvic acid, full body vibration machines, and much more. Now, we'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and I'll see you in the Veritas member section. Enjoy. Enjoy. 